Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. We're super excited to continue our conversation from last week about desire, being that it's a very, um, it's a very complex topic. <laughs> we left a lot of things open last uh, last week, and I guess we're just going to keep uh, getting more into it. See if we can get a little bit more clarity, a little, um, a little bit more, uh, maybe grounded um, on what it is that we're going to be defining and, and in what ways um, we can go about understanding this better. Right. So w- let's talk about first what we're not going to talk about, <laughs> okay. because I, we're, we're not uh, going to talk about, you know, major philosophical issues having to do with desire. I don't think that's going to really help right now um, for what we're trying to do here in this podcast. And People are always encouraged to get a deeper understanding of the question of why is there desire? Why can't people just do things without desiring them? You know, why is there the creation of desire? And also, is human desire essentially different than animal desire? Which I'll go with the with the idea that it is, because the the idea of human desire is the idea of consciously driven desire. In other words, desire that is almost automatic, that's not conscious. In other words, a person wakes up in the morning and his stomach is growling. That's not desire that I'm talking about. It still represents a lacking, which a person desires to fill because a person feels uncomfortable, a person feels physically uncomfortable with being hungry, right? But then the desire that starts kicking in is the, basically the con- the human consciousness of what you do with that basic lack that you're feeling that your stomach is empty. So you'll start feeling um, that you're going to fulfill the desire in this way. You're going to fulfill the desire. You're going to curb it a little bit. You're going to control it a little bit. You're going to say to yourself, um, I can't just have unbridled desire and eat whatever I want because I'm hungry because that won't be good. So I'm going to focus my desire in a certain way, right? All, all those things are human things that are that are consciously thought about. Where I think in the animal world, animal animals are just um, pre-programmed to eat what they need to eat, and then they stop eating. It's one of those things that's interesting. It's like you know you're never going to have, generally speaking, an animal that's like suffering from. Uh, <laughs> Just, you know like the cows, just like nah, I can't right, eat going that. Going on a diet, you know what I'm saying? They, they're <laughs> it's not, not good for me, right? They're not talking, you know what I'm saying? Because generally speaking, if you put something in front of an animal that's not good for it, generally speaking, unless you trick it, um, they'll not eat it. You know what I'm saying? Whereas a human will down five pints of beer, you know, and and six kilos of peanuts because. <laughs> He's just out of control, you know what I'm saying? And, he'll, and then he'll pay with it, pay for it with a stomach ache in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Generally speaking, I, 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 maybe I'm stepping out of my, of my ex, of my what I know, but I'm pretty sure, I've always assumed that animals, generally speaking, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have like animals writhing around on the ground like that they overate. You know what I'm saying? They either, they have needs. So a, a, a polar bear will eat a whole seal because he can, because he knows somewhere, knows, meaning he's preconditioned to realize that he's got to eat a lot because he's going to hibernate, he's not going to have, he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to store the fat and his whatever, you know what I'm saying? So, so anything having to do with human need is we share with the animal world. It's a need that's a basic need, but then the human graduates into what you do with that need. Okay, so just pause then, just to to create like a, a just a very concise summary of what you just said. So you're you're making the differentiation between instinctive desire, which you're saying are basically the needs that we share even with animals, 
They're just the, the things that drive us to survive. You have to eat, you have to reproduce, you have to sleep, you have to you know, run away from predators. Mm -hmm. those are, and those you're saying, because they're basic needs, you're not really even considering them as desires because they're just, they're just needs, which you know, we could... It's not human desire. Human desire is mixed with, like, like we read last week, it's there's, a, there's an understanding going on. There's an there's a, um, integration of the need into the human brain, into the human psyche into human emo emotionality, which, which creates all kinds of other thoughts about what it is that you want, how much of it do you want, how do you want to enjoy it, mm -hmm. how conscious you're going to be about it, right. how so, appreciative you might be about it, for example. Right. So the, so the human, human desire is what you're calling the conscientious desire, which is the ability that only us as humans have to think about, you know, I'm hungry, but what would I like to eat? And right. is it good for me to eat it? And, and how it, there's the, the more higher level thought process, which also gets combined as well with, you know, I am hungry now, but maybe there's something else I desire. It's more complex. Right. Um, so we're dealing with those two desires. Right. Okay. So, so once we're, once we're here, so then now what, what I'd like to focus our conversation is, um, is how important it is for a human being to know what they want. Ooh, yes. Okay. <laughs> now, I think if I would have said, I have the feeling, I'm not sure. I have the feeling that if we would have a conversation like this about 200 years ago, I think they'd think that we're nuts. They wouldn't understand what we're talking about, to know what it is that you know, to know what it is that you want. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe maybe more than a couple hundred years ago. I don't, I don't really know. It's hard to know. But I just get this feeling that not knowing what you want is, is a modern failing. Right. I, I, would, I would agree to that. I feel like if you were to go a couple <laughs> back and be like, what do you want? It's like, well, I want this and that. And when you ask people now like what they want, people have so, many, so much hard time making decisions. Like coaching is like so many times like I want this and that and I don't know what to do. And and right. so many times the question I just asked is like, well, what, what do you want? Right. And then it's like, well, that, what do I want? I'm not, well, I'm not sure. And this person wants this for me and that person wants that. But I kind of want this. But I also want to make that person happy. So it, it, it's become a lot more complex, which brings a lot of other side issues to people. Right. So what, what we want to talk about is, first of all, why is it so important to know what you want? Mm -hmm. And the second thing we want to talk about is, why is it so difficult to know what we want? In our day, assuming again that before it was easier, so there must be something about today's world that makes it hard to know what we want. Right. I think there's something that is in common with all time and all generations and all people. And I think there's something mo a modern aspect to it also. Mm -hmm. So first of all, why, why is it so important to know what you want? Would you like to express <laughs> what you already know? You know that it's important, but yeah. everybody will express it in a different way, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It's such a very big question. And knowing what you want for me is the way I, I, ex I explain it to people. It's like being able to act in your, being able to act and go through your life unconsciously versus consciously. It's the way I explain, like, being aware of what you want to me makes the difference between how you're going to live your life. If, if you don't know what you want, but you want things anyway, right? Because we're saying that old people have desires and have wants. So you're in a dark room and you want to get something. So you're going to start stumbling around the room trying to find whatever it is that you want. And you don't really know where you're going to end up or what you're going to find. You just know that you want something. But you don't really know where it is. Versus knowing what you want is like being in a room with a light on, looking at a pencil and going, I want a pencil. And then you can go and get your pencil and then you got what you wanted. In or, or perhaps more than that is that you got into the room it, itself looking for a pencil. I'm saying, yeah, that, that's fine the, as the well. The more conscious, the, point, the more purpose, exactly. the better. The point being that when you're not aware of what it is that you want, you're still moving because we're, we're not static beings. We're always moving and you're still going to be driven. But without being conscious of what it is you're being driven towards or for what, then you may end up in places where... 
you, you know, you weren't consciously trying to get to, or you may end up with something that you didn't actually really want, but that's just where you ended because you're just following something that's unclear and right. not, and so not there versus someone who knows what they want and therefore has a clear understanding of how they would like to get there. There's a, there's a bigger space there for someone to really act in a, with their higher self. I tell people that awareness allows us to, um, be our higher selves. Right. So I guess to bring that down to earth a little bit more would mean that a person who doesn't know what they want lives a less fulfilled, a less uh, enjoyable, satisfactory life. Whereas a person who goes uh, around um, in his life with a sense of uh, purpose because he knows what he wants is a person that can live a much more fulfilled and satisfactory life. Because things that you stumble across that you're not consciously searching for, right, can be nice, but it's not your whole self isn't in it, right? In other words, the more engaged you are in something, we're talking about on a personal level, right? The more engaged you are in something, the more satisfactory and um, full emotional enjoyment can be reached when you're totally there. But when a person is walk goes around life aimlessly so then he he he's just like catching up with life right and w he won't be aware enough to appreciate all that there is to appreciate it's like it's like with everything if if a person knows um about art and they've studied art and they know the fine parts of art and, and he's able to he or she is able to appreciate all of the yeah, the fine aspects of it that make it so beautiful and so amazing and so so creative. Um, so when they walk into a museum, right, they're already full of that. They they know what they're looking for when they look at life. Let's say they look at a still life or they look at a picture. In that in this case, so they're experiencing something that they're already coming with a sense of of um, of of knowing what they're looking for. Right now, of course, there's always the element of surprise and there's the element of spontaneity, but the element of spontaneity and surprise are elements that um, are not sustainable through life. A person can't live a life of constantly being spontaneous and constantly being surprised by life. <laughs> I just imagine someone like that. I'm just like, just like the perpetual in shock person who's like, oh my gosh, okay, I didn't know. <laughs> right. Well. Okay, that's interesting because we're going to get it. You're using the word shock. We're going to get into a book I'd like to talk about for a minute. It's called Future Shock, but it's, a, it's an old book. But but in any case, the the idea being is that if we can all agree that the importance of knowing what you want is can, cannot be underestimated. Right. I mean, besides all the secondary things that happen when a person doesn't know what they want, indecision, um, aimlessness, sense of no purpose, right? Um, a sense of just like letting life fritter by because you're not chasing your goals. It's also frustrating because you know you want frustrating, something. Frustrating, right? You, right. Like we said, you people want to want, right? There's this desire to want things, but people can't figure out what, exactly what it is that, that they want exactly. And and since they, they can't identify those things, so... <laughs> It's very frustrating. It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, like waking up in the middle of the night, wanting a midnight snack, and you don't know what you want to eat, but you know you're hungry. You're like, oh my gosh. Right, I imagine what do you want I, to eat? my mind always goes to sports <laughs> because I'm imagining like a guy that knows that it's, you know, it's really, you know, he's he's kind of seen people skate before and he kind of likes the sport of hockey. And all of a sudden, like he's on a, He's on a, you know, he's on a rink and he's on skates and like he's somehow he finds himself in a game because he kind of wanted to play and his friend kind of gave him an opportunity to play. And he's like, oh, OK, yeah, I guess that could be fun. And like all of a sudden there's like 10 guys chasing <laughs> a puck and smashing him. And he's like totally doesn't know what the heck, you know, he's like <laughs> spinning around on the ice, you know, it's like, that's like like a guy on a on a on any this is what I'm saying I imagine sports because I you know that's where my mind goes but you know he's kind of knows but as opposed to the guy who's driven 
the person who's like all about sports, who knew from a young age that he wanted to play hockey and he did everything he could to prepare himself to be a good hockey player. You know what I'm saying? So he, his enjoyment is like a gabillion fold as opposed to the guy who's like, kind of likes it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, when I was a kid, I was a very, very fierce competitor. And I always can tell the guys that just like they weren't fire for the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Any sport, basketball, whatever it was. Guys are like, you know, they're like spectator players. They're kind of like, you know, not in the game. It's because they never decided that this is really what they want. Mm. They don't really want it. You know, so it's, you hear sports, you know, figures always saying like, I really want it. That, they're echoing the same idea. The, mm-hmm. the most successful person in life is going to be the most focused and the person ultimately who always knew what he wanted. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because I'm thinking now a little bit more about those that, that like spectator wanter who's like, I, I want it, but is not like fully committed to, the, to what you want. For me, is just rings up like, Right. It's like, it's like when I say I want, I want to do well on my test, or I want to be a good piano player, but I'm not really invested in really putting in the effort. So it's like, I kind of want it, but I'm not committed to it. So it, it's, it also, it creates that safety of like, if I really wanted it, I'd be good at it, but mm-hmm. I don't really want it. So like, it's okay. Right. You, you had your <laughs> so like an, Yeah, it's like an interesting kind of like safety mechanism to be like, I'm not a failure. I'm not bad at this. <laughs> right. I just I just don't really want it that much. <laughs> right. I, 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 we were once with a billionaire who visited Chile and he was talking to us and he said, um, he said, you know, what's the difference between me and you? What's the difference? I mean, he wasn't trying to be condescending. He was just saying, like, if you're looking at me and you think I'm successful because I I have a couple billion dollars, there's only one reason. I'm not more intelligent than you. I I didn't have a different education that makes me, you know, cut above the rest. There's only one difference. Focus. I'm laser sharp focused. When I want to make a deal, that's I eat the deal, I sleep the deal, I walk the deal. I know exactly what I want. Hmm. And that's what it is. You'll always find that people that are hyper-successful are people that are hyper-focused. Right. Of course, there's a downside to that also because they have to know also that there's other parts of life that they also need to enjoy and also have different desires and different wants that makes them a little more diversified as a human being. Right. But I I think this is all leading us to already the second part of, of our podcast, which is, Why is it so difficult to know what you want? And I think the first thing we have to talk about is fear. For sure. Right? So in the example that you just used, like you'd like to learn piano, but you're not fully invested because you kind of like want to like, you know, get a smattering, you know, get a taste, but you don't want to like commit. So why not? Like, is it because you don't really want... To, to know piano, to be able to... There's something about playing a musical instrument that allows you to feel good about yourself. You're imagining that the, the, the product of what you could get by learning piano is, is something that's going to be worth it. <clears throat> so why don't we go there? Right. What is it? So the, there's a lot of fear, right? Fear is the... Fear is number one desire killer. Fear is a desire killer. Okay? And you can see that on all levels. All levels. I mean, uh, I don't want to sound too explicit, but think of any major desire that even humans share with animals, and you'll find that if a person is afraid, they will not really desire. Or they will desire but due to the fear that i think there also is then created or or you know what not not due to the fear but i think that you're mentioning fear as the major killer of desire and i'm going to add on to that that shame is also okay but shame is like a it's like a manifestation of what's going to happen to you if right, you're so shamed I, I, don't, I, I don't know if i would, if i could connect it or not if it would be independent but i think that shame is also a huge part of it but i guess you could say that fear of you know, being of being thought out or or not belonging or or being shunned for something that you want, then that could be mm-hmm. linked to 
Right. Well, I, I don't want to digress that much, but I, I do, I did think that this has a lot to do with this uh, this week's reading. In uh, this is the story of the spies. So they're asked to do this major undertaking, which is to go and inherit the land. They were promised the land. Their whole trajectory since leaving Egypt is about taking over the land. They don't have to do, I mean, it's, it's a major undertaking, but, you know, it, it is what it is. They're going to move into this land and then they have to take the responsibility of owning a land. And if there are belligerent uh, factors involved and they have to fight those belligerencies. But the point is, they have to really grow up quickly, right? And when they get the the report back that really throws them for a loop is when the spies say, look, it's a wonderful land, but people there are really strong, fortified cities. There's some major um, opposition there called Amalek, who they were afraid of already. And that was it. That's That started the spiral down. And it didn't matter what anybody was going to say after that. They weren't, they weren't going to take it. It's interesting because you can see, perhaps it's not for this podcast, but you can see, you know, the, um, how, how doubt turns into fear or fear creates doubt. Fear creates doubt. Yeah. Fear creates doubt. And once the doubt is there, um, the doubt creates more fear. Mm-hmm. It's like bounces off each other. And once there's fear, then there's exaggeration of the fear. And then there is like, um, hatred and anger, you know, where they get angry at the people that uh, were so instrumental in saving them from an awful life of slavery. And now they're saying like, whoa, you know, what are we here for? You know, like, it's ridiculous. It's like somebody die. takes you out of jail and then, you know, you have to pay a toll along the way. Nobody has money. You're like, well, what do we have to pay this toll, you know, to get out of jail? I don't have the money to pay for it. Like, why'd you take me out of jail? Is that, is that, does that I mean, that's kind of like what we're talking about. Like, you know, that is always fear-based type of talk. Mm-hmm. What, you know, you can see how it spirals out of control. It's like, you know, people are strong. Once they're strong, that's it. The giants are there and we felt so inadequate. It's impossible to fight these people. And then we're all going to die and <laughs> we're all going to die in the desert. And why'd you bring us out of the desert? And why why'd you even take us out of Egypt? That's it. You know what I'm saying? So then no matter what uh, the, the champions of the cause, like Kalev and Yoshua could say, um, it doesn't. It's not going to really matter. But they do say something that I want to point out. They say, "Im banu Hashem." If God wants us, if God desires us, there's nothing that we can't do, right? And it doesn't. And he and he desires to give us this land. And we have opposition. The opposition will fall in front of us because we're so focused on what we want. But that's interesting because he says he's not saying on what we want. He's saying on what God wants. Okay, so I want to. That's a good point. I just want to say that there's um, a Mishnah from Rabbi Gamliel who says like this, he says, make his desire your desire so that your desire will be like his desire, which means make God's desire like it's your desire, which means let's talk about God's desire as things that you wouldn't naturally want to do, want to do. They're uncomfortable. Meaning... A mitzvah or I, I something. Want, I want to do good for people. I want to right. give. I, I want, want to do the to right thing. I want to do what God would want moral. me to do. I want, it to make it, I want to make it like it's my desire, which means my desire means like I naturally don't want it. Like if I would just leave myself to my own vices, I wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I talk myself into it. I intellectually create it into a desire of my own. Which you can, you can, you can adopt, yeah. mm-hmm. you can adopt a practice and make it your own. There's different ways to do that, but right. Yeah. You can really want it because you think it's right, for example, mm-hmm. and that's enough to make it that you want it. You could foster desire. Right. So you, when you create that desire in yourself, right. So the the Mishnah says, he will make your desire into his desire, which means. The things that now you want will become fulfilled as if God is carrying out his desire through you. Mm -hmm. Because now your desires will be sharpened to the point where your desires just aren't flippant, selfish desires. 
their desires to do what ultimately is good. Right. So what ultimately is good is what God's interest is in. He is interested in those things, that those things actually happen. So if you, if you, if you can get past the first stage and make that you desire to do the right thing consciously, so then the things that you feel are actually your own like kind of individual desires will also turn out to be those desires that God wants to be fulfilled. That's a tricky one though, because you're, you could, like we said, you could build desire. And a lot of the times when we're talking about the, the raton of, of God, then you are talking about things that are essentially and inherently good. So it's, I think it, you know, it's, it's, we could foster that desire. And I think a lot of our avodah Hashem is, is to create that desire to be godly, to, to do raton Hashem. Um, but it's it's a tricky thing because at the same time I think it's I don't know how much of of our um, of our desires which are many um, we could we could feel like oh this this is a this is Raton Hashem I feel like we there are some desires that we have that are just a desire that we have and and I I'm wondering and I'm curious to hear from you if if your take on this then would be that we should aspire to make all our desires godly desires, which to me seems a little bit well, I think far-fetched so, yes. impossible. I think ultimately, yes, because you just what you're saying is how do we know what God wants? And it's and it's like can, can, could what God wants have to do with me eating an apple or me taking a walk in the park or playing baseball? And what right but I, but you know the answer to that question you know that uh, you know a very limited way of understanding what god is and what god wants in the torah that we have is unfortunate because there there are whenever we hear lines of like you know torah deals with everything is that is the sense that like everything that you do all of man's aspirations and desires and actions and thoughts can be um, directed to to the good can be directed to the positive can direct it to things that we would think God would want. But I feel like that's already saying that if you if that if you don't direct desire, then it's inherently bad. No, it's it's it, at best it's neutral. It's just neutral. It's like you know, it's neutral. It's like you you did something. I mean, what what did you do? You 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 didn't think about it, but you just ate, you know, drank something. I mean, the reason why we try to elevate things is so that it shouldn't just remain neutral. We try to elevate it. It's like you're going to drink a cup of water when you're thirsty. That's the most natural, you know, uh, survival instinct that a human could have. But but now, if you just stop and think and desire the water because the water is a vehicle not only to nourish yourself and to hydrate yourself but it's also a vehicle to do something that i can be conscious about and be thankful about and and uh know that god wants me to live for example and this is why i have the water so then you've just made it into a whole different thing this is how illuminated people live i'm not saying that that's the first step i'm talking about a much more basic step i'm talking for people in order to discover the importance of knowing what they want and secondly the 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 to 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 face the challenge that we have today of knowing what we want why is this so challenging and i think it's always been challenging because of fear and i got into the story of the miraglim of the spies because i think the spies interestingly enough i think the way i read it is that the spies are basically saying to to the people who unfortunately failed at that moment some of the spies the spies that had the right idea were saying look it's up to us you either want it or you don't want it if you don't really want it you're going to find any excuse in the world especially now to to, to not do it and the truth of the matter is if you read the beginning of the story the subtlety of the beginning of the story is that god said look i don't even need spies i'm not asking you to send spies mm -hmm. you got afraid originally and asked for spies so send spies, right? 
and ask the questions that you're going to need in order to in order to feel that this is really what you want. But just know that if you're going to make the start this enterprise of trying to convince yourself about what you want as if it's like an open game, it's it's fraught with danger because you just as easily as you can decide to do what it is that you're supposed to do, you can decide to, to do what you're not supposed to do. And you're going to be in your own thing. <laughs> you're going to be in your own, the risk. You're going to take that risk of falling, and that's what happened. And God, like we said last week, God will let you do that. A person, you know, a person wants to open all the options and take a choice, you know, by um, seeing, was well, this really what I want? Okay, so then he can go in any direction, really. He's asking himself. So the question again is, how do we choose the things that are ultimately good for us? And I think the first thing we need to do is rid ourselves of fear. If you don't have fear, if you can somehow rid yourself of the fear, or at least face your fears. Mm -hmm. Let's say the people at that time in the desert could have said, you know, let's have a therapy session with (laughs) with Moses, you know, and let's talk about this. Like, we realize it's a huge blessing to have our own place in the world. Right now we're nomads. You know, this is going to be the future of whatever it is that we're meant to do in this world forever. You know, it's huge. But, um, and we hear it's also a nice place, but like, we don't want to die. (laughs) What would it mean if we sacrifice our life getting into this land and people are like really angry and they start fighting with us and people die? Mm -hmm. You know, are, are we... Are we up to that challenge? Do we have a formidable army? I mean, what's going to happen? We're full of insecurity, right? And when people talk it out, I'm just talking like an Amer- you know, like a modern person now. I'm just like, I don't know what they could have done differently back then to kind of face their fears. But it's clearly the Torah is saying, look, the best way to face your fears if you're a religious person is saying, look, it's it's in God's hands. And we believe that this is what God wants because this is what we're intended to do. This is what we were told. This is what we believed in the prophecy. This is why everything has happened to us until now and we're intended to go into this land. And it's a huge undertaking, but if we believe in God, ultimately we're doing it because we think this is the right thing. We're not doing it for me. We're not doing it for you. That's always the best way to face your fears, right? There's you. It's not when we when we get small is when we have more fears. It's like what's going to be with me? How is this going to end up? I'm going to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be successful. I'm gonna if I start playing the piano and like putting hours and hours, so then what's going to be with everything else that I do with my life? Like I can't possibly get into. It. I see it's going to take me so many hours, and then how am I going to be able to do anything else? And then I'm just going to spend so much time on this, and it take me from anywhere else. I'm not going to be anywhere. So I'm not going to be a good piano player anyway at the end. So what am I going to get out of it? You know, doubts based on fears, based on doubts, based on fears. So fear is a desire killer. So if you're saying, though, that fear is, um, like you said, the desire killer, which is why it's hard for people to really know what they want, because really what we're saying here is that we all know what we want, but some of us are scared to admit what we want. I, I bring that that happens a lot in the coaching as well. Sometimes people will say, like, I don't really know what I want. And I'll ask, if you knew what you wanted, what would you want? And then right. people are, you know, oh, I, this and that. People know what they want, but they're scared of what they want. They're scared of the consequences. So they won't let themselves go there or they'll block that or be like, no, no I, I don't yeah. actually want that. I think that dovetails into also a modern issue. So, I think, right. So what, what are you saying is, is the modern issue that we're suffering with now? Well, that will be the second issue. There's another big modern issue that we'll get to in a minute. But I think what you're saying about fear also dovetails into a modern phenomenon, which is people are um, afraid <laughs> to say what they want. If a person emphatically says what they want, they sound radical today, in today's world. They sound radical, they sound selfish. Selfish. They sound, they don't sound good. If a person's like, Mm. I love, you know, I just really want, you know. I want to be rich. I want to make money. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's not for us to go into the the person's motivations of why they want to be, but we're already there. Like, oh, this guy is... Um, I don't know, voracious, he's too ambitious. We're already judging him all over the place. 
you know? Mm. So a person says, like, I, I want to, I really want to have children. Like, even something as pure as that, like, I want to raise a family, I really want to have children. It's like, that is like, um, as good of a want and a desire today that you can get away with. But still, you can have a crazy world where if a person would publish that, they would, somebody would get up and say, yeah, well, what about all those people that can't have children, right? What about what about LGBT that can't have, you know, or don't don't project to have a family, and that's not the pinnacle of human existence anyway. You, you know what I'm talking about? There's a it's lot like, of shaming. <laughs> so, so a person, a person doesn't feel that the public space is a place where he can talk about what he really wants and desires. Mm-hmm. So, which. Which, which is I, okay. Right. It doesn't have to be in everybody's face. Right. But I think that's just a reflection of the way people feel too. Mm. About the meaning they're already judging themselves and what everyone else is going to say. Right. Like, I want children. How could I possibly want children? What about the people who don't have children? What about the people who want to have children and they can't? Or what about the, right. what makes me feel like I could have all, what makes, why am I, why can I have children? So this is going to dovetail into the second point, but it's a, it's a nice segue that you created because this is really, um, this hesitation to really feel what it is what we want is because of overexposure. I think as mm. humans, we're not able to face all of the possible downsides to what we want and still want it. We're, we're bombarded with so many other considerations that we just can't handle all the time. We're so overeducated in that sense. We're so overexposed. Like the case that I just said, you know, what could be greater than wanting to start a family, you know, and have children and raise children? You know, that's a beautiful thing. But because now everybody's voice that exists on the planet has to be held at the same time spontaneously, that's obviously going to affect the way you're, you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And we've, meaning we've internalized, we've internalized the, the more global millions and millions of other opinions and other ways of thinking into our own psyche which creates so much overwhelmingness that knowing what you want becomes very hard because you're already questioning yourself in 5,000 different ways because of the way that you've already understood that everyone else would question or everyone else would do or all the other options that are out there. And to to the people out there, the fact that you're saying, you know, or, or even thinking that you want something really, really bad is already threatening. People have created, that society has created the expression of values, strong values, things that you really, really believe in, things that you really, really want, things that you really, really want to see as being a threatening thing. That's huh. threatening. Your desire is threatening my existence because, well, if you really, if you really, really want that, like to have a family and, and have children, you really, really want it you're eventually, ultimately, inevitably going to cancel me out from my existence because because you believe in it so strongly. Where do I exist in that? So the idea of like coexistence, literally, is totally out the window. Mm -hmm. In other words, in a sense, there's a a coexistence that has basically um, squelched any personal individual expression, real, real expression. Because the minute I really individually express what I want, I'm already threatening. Mm, fascinating. The, the, the value of being flexible and open-minded has created this inability to have that laser-sharp focus on something that isn't necessarily a communal want or a com- or PC or... Because there are none. Right. <laughs> Choose one thing that won't sound threatening to somebody. Mm-hmm. In their own in their own warped mind of the 21st century, you know what I'm saying. It, it, what I meant to say is that what why do I have to know what everybody you know what I'm saying before you even knew what everybody believed and thought and felt strongly about? Like everybody lived their own lives. You, you maybe you lived you know in a more of a closed circuit. Okay, I'm again I'm not idealizing what was. I don't think that does anything. Like we spoke a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, but. It's just different. It's that in order for a person to want and to desire something, 
and to really know that it's there's already a person is already facing a very formidable pressure to not go there. You have to almost forgive yourself for wanting something so bad. You have to like cancel yourself out. Right. <laughs> like I won't let other people cancel me. I'll just cancel myself. <laughs> I'll yeah. do it for you. No worries. Right. So there's a lot to talk and unravel there, but let's let's just leave it at that. And the second point I think is um, this is had I've seen TED talks on this, and I've also there's the famous book that everybody read when we were young, which was called Future Shock. Mm-hmm. It was by Alvin Toffler, and basically he 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 coined the phrase called overchoice. Too many choices. I forgot the name of the fellow who recently made a TED talk about it, but not about the book, but also this idea. He's a he's a researcher, something with an S. Simon Sinek. No, no, no. Because he's super cool. Yeah, he's cool about other things, but not. Anyway, the the idea of overchoice is that again, um, when faced with too many choices, you become indecisive. You become when faced with too many choices. You become lackadaisical. You become uh, you 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 uh, move out of the zone of action into inaction. Because you're shocked by the choices, or because if we're talking about also desire being a bit more of a focus, there's so much more to focus on that it becomes hard to just choose one. Right. You're constantly being faced. That's one thing, and also you're just constantly being faced with the downsides of so many things that you have to consider. You mm. just can't. You'll always feel that you're not really getting what you want. Right. Even And you know that before you actually choose. Mm. So you don't put all your features, as we say, in one basket. You know, you don't put all of your coins in one basket because, you know, like, how much can I really want this if I know that there's so many other good things out there? Wow, that's interesting. It's, it's like... Um... When it comes to making decisions between like this or that, people are already um, hesitant to make a decision because they know that making a decision will, making decision A will close option B. Exactly. So if you have options from A to Z and more, then it's so many doors that you're closing that it almost feels not worth it to choose because then you're closing off so much more possibilities. Yeah, it's a curse. I mean, it's really Mm -hmm. a curse because ultimately... What's the answer to that question? The answer is, well, you have to start with something. And the, and the more successful you start with something, let's say a job, the more doors will open because of that. But if a person is like goes half-heartedly into a job because he could have been this, he could have done that, he could have taken this, this choice, that choice, this thing, and he has that constantly in his mind um, before the choice and after the choice, he'll never become any of those things ever. Right. It's. I was recently talking about this with a with a client about this. Like, you you want to make a decision, but you don't feel like you have everything, all the all the information, and maybe there's something better out there. But at the same time, you feel like you don't want to make a decision lest you make the wrong decision. And then if you make the wrong decision, then people will come up with all their own fears. Then I'm not going to do it yeah. right. Then I'm going to failure. And then I'm going to make mistakes. But what people I feel like don't realize is that by not making the decision. You're also losing. You're losing on not having that focus, not being able to be truly successful, not being able to truly commit, which brings in itself um, commitment brings with it responsibility and efforts and focus that you wouldn't have otherwise. So by not choosing, you're also choosing to be in this kind of twilight zone where nothing is and nothing isn't and it's very wishy-washy and which also causes a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. It does. Um, causes all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Just living in different worlds and no commitment. Ambiguity. Voyeurism. I mean, everything. Just like you live in a virtual life, you know, because it's not, you know, you're not really there. You're not really there. You're nowhere. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I think that humans, as uh, this is going to be a big statement, but I don't think we could uh, live like this forever. And I think what happens after stages like this in human development is that people snap back and there's going to be like huge pushback because people that aren't necessarily starting as radicals are all of a sudden made into radicals. And they're like, if I'm a radical by saying that I don't want you to kill a fetus, Mm -hmm. I've become a radical because I think it's wrong to kill a fetus because I think that's called murder. Right. And that's my position. And that's called abortion. 
And you want to have your position, great, but you're going to turn me, or vice versa, whoever's position is whatever, you're going to turn me into like the Satan himself. Right. Right? And and ostracize me and go after me and attack me on social media and everything like that. Well, by darn, then I'm going to really become a radical. And I'm going to fight you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to fight you because you're not even listening. I mean, that's a recreated conversation that should happen. But it doesn't even get to that stage. It's normally just like, I feel attacked by people who don't hold my position. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I get left from me, I mean, what am I, I'm a victim. I, I have to get more radical. I have to fight these people. And that's what happens. That's what starts wars. <laughs> you know, the, that, you know the, 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 you, people cannot live undefined forever. People want to want. We can't live this like half-life forever. People are eventually going to say like, you know what? Too bad on you that you don't agree with me. You know? Leave me like I want to have my position and I want to shout it from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, so go somewhere else. You know, but that won't, you know, in the in the climate that there is today in the, in the social um, media and the global network that we have, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, like that need to be in the in the right with everybody makes it impossible to actually have which will force which will eventually force radicalism it will force people to become more and more radical there's there's going to be tremendous pushback there already is Mm -hmm. and everybody's accusing everybody else of being so radical but the truth is is what's going on is nobody's talking to each other right nobody's really working out the issues like we're trying to do here on on a podcast like this like we're just we're trying not to be afraid of talking about things and that are difficult we haven't had that yet between us but but the idea of things of of uh, of conversations that are public should be i think one of the major ideas should be how to have civil discourse mm-hmm. and when there's when there's so much fear it, it affects us on so many different levels um and now the second aspect of there being so much choice that just freezes people into an action and indecisiveness it's going to be a world where people don't know they they just they know they want to want something but they just can't figure out what they want, okay. myself included. I know that I'm a victim, victim, so to speak. I'm a part of this society. I know I can speak about it freely because I know it's affected me. Mm-hmm. I'm also like a surveyor. I'm too much of a surveyor. A lot of times, what else is what there? I say to myself, right? I say to myself, boy, I wish I was more, you know, had more conviction about this and I was more strong about this decision and more strong about this choice. The things in my life that I was, I was much more successful in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so this is everyone's issue. This is not about uh, casting, uh, you know, casting a net on the whole society. It's about looking at ourselves and saying, how do we know what we want? How do we get to the point where we can know really what we want and, and really go for it? Mm-hmm. And acknowledging that what we want really is can't can't fit everybody's boat and that's okay yeah and you'll fail and not be afraid of failing or be afraid of failing and doing it anyway <laughs> well failure is never as bad as we make it it's not i mean just that's getting into a different thing but but obviously the greatest fear is the fear of failure for men anyway i always say that and therefore mm-hmm. we don't a man let's say like myself would be less inclined to engage in something full you know full throttle wholeheartedly because what happens if he fails? You don't want to, you don't want to put your whole self in, like the thing. Put your whole self out. If you put your whole self in and you shake it all about, <laughs> and you get beaten up, and you're and you're a thing, and then what have you? What have you got left when you get out? Mm-hmm. That's what you're afraid of. That's the, that's the fear of failure. It's like, what am I if I fail? Mm. And and what, how are you going to lick the wounds? You're going to say, well, I really tried. Like, who's going to tell you that? Like the, that's another issue. I mean, there's so much fear because we don't uh, tolerate failure anymore. There's the winners and the losers. And uh, if you, I always, I always think about it this way. Like, I like tennis. I follow tennis sometimes. The difference between the greatest two tennis players in the world is practically nothing. You have to agree to that, right? 
when Nadal was amazing in Federer in my time. These I don't know who's up on the top now anymore, but these two guys are still competing. But when they, when they were like the, the top cheese, there was really no difference between. I mean, they were just amazing. I mean, maybe they have different technique, but they're just the best freaking tennis players in the world. All of a sudden, if they face to face have a competition, the one that won is like everything, and the one that lost is like he lost. Poor guy, you know, like you know, you know what I'm saying. The way it's presented is just like the the millimeter of difference between this particular moment in time that was produced a winner versus the loser is the difference between heaven and earth. It's this. There's the winner is everything. Winner takes it all. Winner takes it all. Loser standing small. <laughs> you know. So so there's so much more fear. We're a winner society. You know, you can have everything, and you can have everything means you you're not going to want to fail. At whatever it is you want, you you need to have it. Mm. Anyway, we're we're getting a little sidetracked, but that. Um, that also contributes to a lot of the fear of, uh, of, that prevents us from knowing what we want. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So again, t- finishing the conversation still, I feel like there's still so much. So much. So, so there is. Much. <laughs> I wanted to bring something up, but there's no time. So we'll just have to finish it here. Maybe we can make another one or we'll keep having this conversation. But I think that what we, what we also would like to leave um, all our listeners with is also um, to ask yourself the questions like our conversations here are so that we can share time together and I love hearing what my father has to say about things and for me I, I like thinking about what you bring up and I, I feel like it's such a great opportunity for the people who are the reason we're sharing it really is so that we we really believe that opening yourself up to questions and to thinking about things could really enhance our life and, and make us deeper richer people, people who, who do and live purposefully and, and thoughtfully and consciously. Um, so whether or not we answered all the questions or, or really were able to hit all the topics, um, we hope that the conversation that we had today inspires you to ask more questions, to bring up this conversation with other people, to ask yourself, do I know what I want? Do, do I know what I want? Am I scared of what I want? What do I... What do I want? <laughs> what do you want? It's the most basic, I mean... It's the notebook. It's it's the first thing your mother looks at you in the face when you're four years old and say, what do you want? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What is it that you want? You know, it's like, it's the most basic, it's one of the most basic human questions and yet we could still be befuddled by it Mm -hmm. at any stage of life. Right. So important. So there. Question, ask, wonder, and... uh... We'll see you next week, maybe with desire or maybe with something else. Adios. (laughs) And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.